heaven in the home. Amen. 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 Everybody's glad about that. Act like you're glad even if you're not. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Now look to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We talked about this. We started last Wednesday night on talking about heaven in the home. This is the first time since we've been in this church that God has released us to talk about heaven, uh, to talk about the home. I mean, we've talked about it in passing in other sermons, but to just actually get down and teach on the home, to teach on the husband and wife relationship, this is the very first time, and we've been here a little over four years, that, that God has released us to talk about this. And I tell you what, we're free, aren't we? We're going to, and I, you know, I feel free tonight. Amen. I feel like God wants to speak to you tonight. And I tell you, I'm just, I, I'll just tell you how I am. I'm very candid. I'm a very open person. I'm very candid. Um, I, I just, that, I, I just can't help but be in that way. I just, you know, there's, I don't know any other way to be. I'm just kind of see-through. I don't mind you seeing into my life. And if I, if I wanted to hide my feelings, I can't. So, I, you know, I'm going to let you see into our lives. And, you know, we're not here trying to say we're perfect because we're not. I'm telling you what, we spend... Um, um, we spend a lot of time making a lot of adjustments at our house. We are, you know, you never get to a place of perfection in marriage or in the family. If you, let me tell you something. If you want heaven in the home, that's what we've been talking about, you're going to have to learn to forgive a lot. And if you're not good at forgiving, you might as well get good at it because, uh, because you're not going to ever have heaven in the home unless you're a good forgiver because every home has a lot to forgive. There are human beings in every home. Amen. And every wife has to forgive a lot, and every husband has to forgive a lot. Amen. And so if you're not, if you don't like to forgive, and if you don't like to say so, I'm sorry, you might as well just change right now. Because you will not have God's best until you start saying I'm sorry, until you start forgiving. Amen. Hallelujah. And God has put a grace inside of us for that. We have the Holy Ghost inside of us. We've got the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me you can't forgive. Don't tell me you don't tell me that somebody's hurt you so bad and you just can't let it go. You're just being led by your flesh and the devil. You can forgive. You can forgive anything. I don't care what they did to you. The Bible says you hadn't suffered to the shedding of blood yet. But even if you did shed blood, if they brought the blood, you can forgive. Amen? Praise God. Okay. So there I, okay, now I wasn't whipping you there. I was just trying to help you. Because I tell you what, you gotta, you got to shake sometimes some people, especially people that are stubborn. And people that don't forgive are stubborn. And they need a good whipping in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And besides now, you know, you get on one of my sensitive spots. Because I'm drawing from my life, and you know, you know, you know, that's why you want to always sit under a teacher that is, you know, you can't sit under a teacher who's got it wrong in their heart. If they're wrong in their heart, now I'm not talking about they're perfect, but I'm talking about they got a bad attitude. Because when we minister, we minister from the word and from our soul. And whatever the attitude of the pastor is, the church will begin to have that same attitude. What if, the, if, if somebody in children's church has a bad attitude, it's got to end. It's, got, it's over. Why? Because they're ministering out of their soul and they'll put that rebellion, they'll put all of that into the kids without even meaning to, just teaching the Word of God. Amen? So I'm ministering to you out of my soul. And in my soul, there's things because of my family life that I grew up in and then because of my marriage. But I'm telling you, we're forgivers at our house. 
we're not perfect. We both mess up. We have to do a lot of forgiving. Pastors are not perfect. Did you know that pastors and ministers have an anointing to minister, but we do not have an anointing to live any greater than you do? Amen. Amen. And a lot of people don't understand that, so they don't understand why pastor's not perfect. It's like, well, he's a man of God. He ought to be perfect. Well, he don't have any greater anointing to be perfect than you do at home. But when we stand in the pulpit, there's an anointing to minister that goes beyond any man. Hallelujah. And you can tell, you know, we get up here under the anointing and man, we'll get bold, we'll say things, we'll do things, go home and, we'll, and that anointing lifts and two things happen. Oh One thing is you get ti you're tired in a way that you cannot describe and another thing that happens, it's like, oh my God, why did I say that? Why did I do that? So you get back in that flesh realm and it's like, you know, I can't believe I said that. Not that it was bad to say, but it's just like you get out there. Amen. So ministers don't have any more anointing to be married than you do. Amen. And that's why sometimes at the minister's home, the fur can fly. And then him just get up in the pulpit. And he ought to go ahead and get up in the pulpit and minister the Word of God. But he ought to clear it up first. And that's what we do. So I'm not up here not trying to tell you we're perfect. But I am trying to tell you that we know how to repent. And we do that a lot. And we also know how to not walk under condemnation. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And we're going to begin in verse 18. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. And bind them for a sign upon your hand. That they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children. Speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. Way, and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates that your days may be multiplied I like that multiplied days don't you and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth and so we see a picture God's picture of the family is right there in verse 21 the God's picture for the family what he desires for the family is days of heaven upon the earth amen? amen now of course we've already talked about last time that this is all this is we were going under the assumption that you're going to hear the word and obey the word amen you're not going to have days of heaven in a marriage unless you're a hearer and a doer of the word of god now turn over to the new testament ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 and verse 21 is not talking to husbands and wives. It's talking to us about all relationships in our, in our relationships, our friendships. And it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it begins in verse 22, talking to husbands and wives. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, that we're going to talk in depth about these scriptures, but let me just review a little bit from last week. Uh, first of all, we discussed last week that every per all of us are different, and we have a God-given right to be different. I don't like the same things you like. You may not like the kind of furniture I like, and you may not like the style of house that I like, and we have have a right to be different in that. Amen? 
But there are certain things that every godly home will have in common. And the first one we talked about last week was a submitted wife. That every godly home will have a submitted wife. Now submission has been a very misunderstood subject. If we look back 40 years ago to our mothers and grandmothers, they were usually either one of two things. They were either unsubmitted and rebellious. We have a bad example of that sometimes in front of us. Or they were doormats. But a, a spirit-filled woman, if you walk by the spirit, there's a, God's plan is neither for you to be a doormat, nor is it for you to be uh, a rebellious, obnoxious, uh, bossy, manipulative, controlling woman. Amen? Hallelujah. So the word submit's been misunderstood. And men have taken that word and tried to whip women with the word submit. But I tell you, now, the women, the men said last week that I was favoring the women. This is the report I got back, that I was favoring the women. When I get through with them tonight, <laughs> no, no, when I get through tonight, they may not say I, I was favoring them. Also, I, found, I heard uh, one man told me he was the exception to everything that I preached last week. <laughs> He was the exception. Hallelujah. And um, praise God. So we're going to get into this night. Now, submit means to yield. It means to agree. It means to cooperate. And that's what it means, family. In verse 21 there, it talks about relationships, like we said, uh, for with our friendships. And when we, we know that in a friendship that there's not one person lording it over the other. There's not one person dominating the other. There's not one person saying, you better do what I say. You know, that wouldn't happen in a friendship. And in a friendship, the Bible says we're to submit ourselves one to another. That means we yield to each other. We mutually yield. Now, in the marriage, God never told the husband to submit. He only told the wife to submit. He gave the husband first further instructions but he told the wife to submit and he when he told her to submit he didn't give permission to the husband to lord it over her he did not give permission for, to the husband to demand his own way for to him to demand that he that she obey him it is wrong for a man to demand that his wife obey him and 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 he did not give any permission for those things so the husband does not have permission to lord it over. He does not have permission to tell his wife, you do as I tell you. Amen. That's not God. Hallelujah. But she is to yield and she is to get in agreement with him and she is to cooperate with him. And so God has given us a plan so that we can always have peace in the family. When, the, when there's a decision to be made in the family, uh, the husband and wife both pray. This is how it works. This is how God intended it for it to work. The husband and wife both pray. And you, I tell you what, if you've got a praying man and a praying woman, and you both have Jesus as Lord of your life, now that's the key factor. If you've got one in the relationship where Jesus is not Lord, you're going to have Disagreement, But if Jesus is Lord, and I'm talking about both of you are submitted to the will of God, and when you go to prayer, you're not saying, God, I want it this way, but you're saying, Father, now, I, you know, I have to make a decision here, and I'm asking you for your wisdom. And when both the husband and wife are doing that, I'm telling you, you're not even going to have to test out the submission thing. Because God's not going to tell the wife one thing and the man another. 
But when we run into conflict sometimes is sometimes we have things in our soul that are pulling on us and we don't get to we don't hear from God very well. You know, so let's just use an example that the, the husband has an opportunity to move with his company or something. And he lives and they live in Birmingham and the company said, we want you to promote and move to Huntsville. But they give him a choice if he wants to do that. And so the, they, uh, the husband and wife, they go to prayer and they... Uh, they pray about it, but you know sometimes the woman may have a certain situation where she's not really letting Jesus be Lord. Well, my mama and my family live here, and I don't want to leave them. See, that's the soul. That's the soul. And so we may come to the point where she's like, I don't want to go. And he's saying, I feel in my spirit that it's God. I feel like we're supposed to go. And he's feeling, so here's where submission, this is where the rubber meets the road. What does the Bible say to do? The Bible says for the wife, if you can't come into agreement. Now, if you were really where you were supposed to spiritually, you wouldn't have the disagreement. But if you, if in that case, in that case, but when the rubber meets the road and there's a disagreement, who's supposed to yield? The wife. Who's supposed to cooperate? No punching, no fair punching. Who's supposed to agree? The wife. Amen? No, okay, so no, I'm not being too hard on you yet, am I? You say, the wife say, well, what if I'm right and he's missing God? Let me ask you something. Who's supposed to yield? Who's supposed to cooperate? Who's supposed to agree? Amen. Now we'll get into this a little bit later. Because a man could miss God. Maybe his soul's pulling on him. Maybe God's will is for them to stay right there. But man, that money is a pulling on him. And you know, sometimes fear pulls on a man. Well, you know, because my dad has told me this. He's like, you know, you get in a corporation and you're working in a corporation. This fear, if I'm not a team player, the next time promotion comes, they'll pass me by because I didn't cooperate this last time. But that's the fear of man. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of man is a snare. So there he's not being able to make Jesus Lord of his life because he hadn't worked out those things where the fear of man is concerned. And he's fixing to make a mistake and she knows it in her heart. But let me ask you again, who's supposed to cooperate? Who's supposed to agree? Who's supposed to uh, uh, yield? The wife is. The wife is supposed to yield. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, so we've got that all straightened out. Now, in Genesis 2, chapter 18, we led this, read this last week. It says that uh, it's not good for man to be alone. God, God's really smart, and he figured out y'all couldn't do it without us. Amen? It's not good for man to be alone. And so he said, I'm going to make him a helpmeet suitable or adapted to him. Hallelujah. And when you're led by the Spirit before you get married, you get the right one, baby, and she'll be suitable to you. She'll be adaptable to you. Amen. It's going to flow a lot better. Now, it's not going to be perfect. Even when you get the one God picked out, He could, if God had said, wrote her name on your arm, He could, you mean you got her. Even when that happens, you know what the Bible says? That you'll have trouble in the flesh. Just because y'all are human beings, you're still not going to have perfect marriage. Amen. You still are going to have some things you have to overcome. But I want to tell you something. You get the wrong one, baby, and you'll have hell on earth. Amen. You won't have days of heaven, will you? And God knows. And He knows who's the right one. Most people can't even figure it out. Once you get the hormones flowing, honey, once the juices start a-flowing and then you get all stirred up and you've got 
two things. You've got your emotions involved and you've got lust involved, and we all deal with that. Once you've got that going, you can just about forget praying and hearing God. So what do you do? You set some parameters. For those of you that are not married, you set some parameters before the oh, the, the stuff starts flowing. The the, the hormones are, are there, you know, and, and you know, the emotions and that puppy love or whatever it is or I don't know, you know. Before that stuff sets in, you set some parameters. My mother was not particularly, a, she was a uh, Christian, but she didn't know any godly principles particularly. But one thing she told me is never, ever even date a man you wouldn't want to marry. Cause she, and she said, she said, you might fall in love with him and then you'd be in a mess. And one of her big stipulations was don't date a Catholic. Now, I don't know why. But, I mean, I don't know why I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that was her thing. And like I said, it wasn't necessarily based on the Spirit. But that was her thing. And it's just like if you don't, but it's true now in that sense. If you don't want to marry a Catholic, don't date a Catholic because you could fall in love. If you don't want to marry somebody that's not filled with the Holy Ghost, and you shouldn't because we're not to be unequally yoked, then don't even date somebody. Don't even, don't even let anything you know don't even flirt around with that person amen because your emotions can take control and you'll lose your head the bible not the bible but people say love is blind amen and you can get real blinded by love you know okay so there's some wisdom for you there uh so so wives are to be the helpmate and helpmate means something real spiritual it means helper it's an assistant. The wife is the husband's assistant. She is not to take over. Wives cannot take charge. They can make suggestions and they can say, this is what I would do. But a wife does not hinder. A wife is not a dripping faucet. All the wives in here say, I am not a dripping faucet. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, but I'll tell you something else. You wives, now don't get over in the submission ditch and say, well, I'm just not going to say anything. To know the will of God, to know, to have an opinion on something and not to say it is wrong. To let him go off a cliff and not, not for you not to say, to not to say. Now, you know, I really, you know, I would say to my husband something like this. Well, now I'm going to do what you say, but I want to tell you, I just, I, I don't think that's, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it in my heart. And you know what? A wise man, when his wife says she doesn't feel good about it, he's going to go repray it. He's going to go rethink it. Amen. And then, you know, maybe they need to go to somebody else and say, you know, this is one of the, here's the decision we have to make. If they can't, after a time of prayer, after a time of communicating with each other, most couples don't communicate enough. And after a time of communicating with each other, and they both go back to the Lord, they both go back and repray it. Well, and they still can't come into agreement, you know, then uh, if my wife had a check about it, I'd, I'd go to a third party that I trusted for counsel. And sometimes somebody can see something that you don't see there. And then from there, you know, the wife is to submit. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to live by our, we need to go ahead and speak our convictions. Um, God speaks to both the husband and wife. This is a misconception that when God's going to talk to y'all about something, he's only going to talk to the wife. That is not true. God uses you as a team. He sees you as one. He, you know what? When God talks to the wife, he thinks he's talked to you because y'all are one. When God talks to the, it's just like talking to you. And you know, he talks to whoever's listening. The best. 
Amen. And then sometimes both of you are listening. But, you know, I've noticed in our marriage, God will talk to me a lot of times when he wants me, he, he wants me to be secure about something. In other words, he'll, if he wants me to feel secure about moving, he'll talk to me about moving so that when my husband says we're going to move, I already feel secure. I know God's talked to me about it. Amen. So he, sometimes he may talk to me first about something. In our marriage and in our ministry, God has talked to me as much as he has my husband about things in our ministry and in things in our marriage. And I have gone to him. You know, God's given me the plan many times. I know one time we owed his parents $1,000. We've never borrowed much from our families, but that time we did. And we owed them $1,000. This was way back in... Um, way, way back, and I was just crying out to God, wanted God, help us to get rid of, pay them. I just not, did not like owing them that. And God told me, God gave me the plan. God gave me a supernatural plan. He, gave, he told me what we should offer them to do. And, and, you know, I told my husband, and he went and talked to his parents, and they said, great. And we wiped out that $1,000 debt to his parents. Amen? And so... Um, God will give you the plan, wives. And husbands, you need to know that God's going to give her the plan sometimes as much as you. Usually what he'll do is he'll give parts of it. A lot of times what God will do is he'll give me the plan and then he'll give him the specifics of how to carry it out and how to do it. Amen? So he's going to talk to both of y'all. Now, so a wife doesn't hinder. Um, so... Uh, God speaks to the husband and wife and uses them as a team. Wives have been given the power of influence. A woman is to be a godly influence on her husband, and she's to use that power. I hate it when a woman is just a limp dish rag, and she does not use the power of her influence to influence that man. I'm like, influence him, influence him. I'm telling you, I turn on the charm. When I know, I mean, I can influence this man. Now, a woman's not to be manipulative or deceptive. A woman is never to be deceptive. And I want to tell you something a wife isn't. And that's a tendency that women have is to be deceptive. Don't get deception is always the devil. And don't toy with it. Amen. And deception is when you go to the store and buy clothes and hide them in the trunk of the car. Deception is when you go and buy clothes and hide them in your closet and don't wear them for two months and bring them out and wear them and he says they's that new and you say, oh no, I've had it a long time. And you have had it for two months, but you had never worn it and it technically is new. That is deception. And you're never to deceive your man. And you're not to, you're not to manipulate him either. Manipulation is when you whine around to get something you want Instead of just coming right out and saying, can we go out to eat? Instead of, because I did this is the reason I know. I was like, uh, I am so tired. You know, I was just trying to get him to say, let's go out to eat. And the Lord just said, quit trying to deceive him. Just tell him you want to go out to eat. You know, but sometimes women, but, when, but on the other hand, we have a power to influence. And we're to use our influence to influence them to godliness. Amen. And so that's why we dress nice and we smell good. I don't tell you, an old slob in her curlers is not going to be able to influence a great deal. I'm telling you, if you smell good, he's going to listen. If you look good, he's going to listen more. Amen. E.L. Cole says women have the power of sex. They do. Now, she's not to use that power to defraud him. In other words, if I get that sofa, but if I don't, forget it. 
That's not right. That's devilish ways. That's devil woman. Hallelujah. But I want to tell you on the other hand, and women are so dumb sometimes. If you keep that love tank full, woman, he'll eat out of your hand. If you'll keep it overflowing, keep that love tank, he, he don't ever even have to, he doesn't ever even have to wonder if he would like to look at another woman. Why? He just overflowing all the time. I'm telling you, I'm preaching truth to you. This is truth. And you know, y'all, if y'all are, if, if those of you that are skittish about sex, why? Listen, if you've got that sex is dirty thing, you need to get that off of you. Because that is not the truth. Sex is good, clean fun in marriage. Amen. Amen. And I tell you what, you need to, uh, you need to, uh, my dad used to say, say calf rope. He'd hold you on the, he'd hold you on the ground till you'd say calf rope. I mean, you know, playing with you. Say calf rope. Say calf rope, Debbie. Say calf rope. Well, women need to fill their husband's love tanks up till he says calf rope. <laughs> Amen. That the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that he has no need of spoil. He don't have. He safely trusts in her. He don't ever need to see another woman. He, I mean, he looks at one and he goes, it's like you know, and you know, they're showing it all these days. They, you know, they're just showing it all. They're flaunting it, honey. They're doing, but I'm telling you, it's like he goes, it, it, don't, even, it don't even register. Why? Because he's so tanked up. Amen. Hallelujah. All the men should be just sending me flowers tomorrow and all this kind of <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the men, probably that's what they want me to teach on or pastor or something, but the women all told me this week, Y'all have, you have pastor teach on that gift thing some more. So I know where you're weak, men. It's that gift area because the, the women are all saying, would you hit that a little more? Hit that a little harder. Tell pastor at the men's meeting to get on the gift thing. Amen. So that's, what, that, that's what's been coming in. Amen. Now, submit, we talked about last week, is a secondary word. Remember, we talked about that, that catch is a secondary word. What's the word that comes before catch? Throw. You have, somebody has to throw before I can catch, right? You can't just tell me to catch, and I'm going, what, what, what? No, you have to throw, and then I can catch. Well, submit's like that. It's a secondary word. I can't submit until somebody does something else, and, it's, uh, and that is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 25, yeah, thank you. <laughs> verse 25, husbands, love your wives. I can't submit until somebody loves me. And God does not ask a woman to submit until the husband loves her. Amen? In fact, you can't submit to a man that does not love you. And we'll talk about love and what that means a little bit later. And so, um, and the, we talked this last week, that the, that the husband always has to go first. You know, the husband says, if she'd submit, I'd love her. 
Well, that's not how it works because the Bible says you're the head and the head does everything first. Before you walk, your head walks. Before you eat, your head eats. Before Everything you do, your head goes first. The head never trails behind the body. Amen? The husband has to go first. He loves her first. Now, women, sometimes you, need, you do have to submit by faith. Before he starts acting like Christ in the church, you have to submit by faith sometimes. But you need to talk to God about it. Because there's been women that have submitted by faith for 25 years and he's not going to change. God knows whether your husband's ever going to change or not. Well, if I pray enough, he'll change. His will is involved. His will is involved and God does not ever break a man or woman's will. Amen? And God knows if he's ever going to change. And if he's going to change, God will say, you do this by faith. He'll tell you, he'll speak to you, he'll lead you. But if he's not going to change, then you need to, I'll tell you what you need to do, get you a good lawyer. You say, well, God's not into divorce. God's best is not divorce. God hates divorce. But God's called you, God did not call anybody to ever waste their life. God never called a woman to spend 25 years in hell. God never called a man to spend 25 years in hell. I mean, because there are abusive women out there. That's not as much, but it can happen. And so God never asked somebody to waste their life. And He knows. Amen? And some people aren't going to ever get fixed because they don't want to be fixed. Amen? Hallelujah. So you've got to be led by the Spirit in those cases. And God does not put us under bondage, and God always calls us to peace. Now, I can tell you, religion is so messed up on this. But I, I could show you in Scripture, and I will one night, because we'll talk about that. We'll go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll go into that in detail one night. But tonight we're going on. So God doesn't ask me to submit to a man who doesn't love me. Well, how far does submission go? Well, I'll tell you how far it goes. Here's the rule of thumb. You're to submit unless it's immoral or illegal. Amen. Amen. If it's not immoral and it's not illegal. Now, most men don't ask us to do immoral or illegal things, and most of us aren't rebelling against things that are immoral or illegal. But if your husband asks you, I want you to go to the bar with me, don't submit. Amen. Don't go. Amen. It's immoral. Don't go. If he says, sign this income tax form, and you know it's a lie, I want to tell you something, it's not only immoral, it's illegal too. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you something, you're not going to, you know, you're going to go with him to the pen. Don't sign. Amen? If he says, I don't want you to go to church, don't submit. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Now, that's not an excuse for you to be gone every night of the week. If you've got an unbelieving husband, then you need to be in church. And you're going to have to say, honey, I love you, but I'm going to church. The Bible says that I am to... And to go, that I'm not to forsake the assembling of myself together. And so I'm going to church. But you don't need to neglect him. You need to cook his lunch. You need to, you need to take extra special care of him. I tell you what, if you'll keep that love tank full, you can use the power of influence and you can get mostly anything, including going to church. Amen? But a lot of women, you try to do it wrong. And so you don't submit. You go to church. Now, however, if he doesn't want you to go to the ladies' meeting on Monday night, then stay home. Stay home. Amen? If he don't want you to be in the choir and, miss, and go to choir practice on Thursday night, then stay home. Amen? 
Hallelujah. But don't, 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 don't stay out of church because he says not to. Amen. Now the second thing that every heavenly home has is a husband that loves. We talked about that. And how does he love? Well, we've got to read there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, uh, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's go back up to verse 23 just and read that too. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, in everything. So the husband is the head of the wife. Now how did Christ, it says he loves the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me ask you, how did Christ give himself for the church? But what did he do? He died. See, a lot of times men won't bless God, I'm the head of this home. Well, number one, you're not. That's not what the Bible said. He said you're the head of the wife. You're not the head of the home. The Bible says the wife's the keeper of the home. She's in charge. However she wants the furniture arranged, she's the boss. However she wants to do the laundry, she's the boss. Whatever she wants to cook, she's the boss. She wants the house painted red, she's the boss. Amen? In that area. In that area. But you're the head of the wife. Amen? You're, the head, you're her head. And so, hallelujah, glory to God. Amen. For all you... Uh, Guys that say, I don't want the furniture this way. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless God. Not only that, you ought to move it for. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, hallelujah. So, um, so men want to, to flaunt that. Bless God, I'm the head. Well, I tell you, you ought to think about what it means first before you get too puffed up about it. Now, you men, you go to men's meetings, and you all say, thank God we're men. Do y'all say that at the men's meetings? Well, we had the last time you had a men's meeting, about three of us girls went out to eat, and so I proposed a toast. We had water. And I, we weren't drinking wine or anything, y'all, or champagne. No, but I proposed a toast. And I said, okay, girls, let's toast. I said, let's say this together. Thank God we're women. Amen. And then the, and all of us, our kids are grown. Our second toast was, thank God our kids are grown. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You'll understand someday. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, anyway, but you know, you guys, that's good. Thank God you're men. I know you're glad you are and um, those kind of things. But I want to tell you something. Don't be too puffed up because being the head, there's some things that go with it. Hallelujah. And that is that you have to love her like Christ loved the church and he died for the church. So I'll just tell you, get ready to die. Not that I mean that she's going to get a knife in the middle of the night. I'm not talking about that kind of dying. I'm talking about dying to self. Amen. Pastor says this. I love for him to teach this to the men. If you're a man and you get married, you've got to quit acting single. Amen. You can't go out with the guys. You can't, I mean, all the time. It depends. Listen, if you work like my husband worked the first 10 years, where he goes, he left at 6 or 8 or 5 or 6 in the morning, he comes in at 9 or at night, you can just forget going out with the guys. Every minute, if you work like that, every minute you have, it's hers. Amen? Amen. There is no other. Forget the guy. Now, if you work 8 to 5, 5 days a week, and you know you get 4 weeks vacation every year, you may get to go with the guys a little. I told you get ready to die. Amen. Didn't I? Because you're going to be the head, you've got to die. Now, verse 23, it says, The husband is the head of the wife, not the head of the home. Being the head of the wife means you are responsible. 
The husband is responsible. So when the wife drags in from work, and she's used both sides of her brain that day, and she goes, (laughs) she has, and she's gone back and forth between logic and reason, logic and reason, logic and reason, logic and reason, and she can get home, and she's just losing it. She's just, she's losing it. You know what? You're responsible. Sure is quiet in this holy, holy church. You're responsible. You're responsible to help her. You're responsible to minister to her. And I'll tell you what you can't do is preach to her. Well, if you'd get in faith, woman, didn't you hear what the pastor said Sunday morning? And, and you know, you can't do that. That's not what you're... First of all, you can do it, but I want to tell you what you got to do first. Look in verse 23. It says that you are the Savior of the body. It, you're to be the the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body don't preach to her till you've saved her body first what does that mean that means if you come in and she's lost it and she says I gotta bake a cake for the boy scouts I've got to vacuum I've got to do the laundry I've got to do this I've got to do that what are you you're to say be the savior of the body you're to say honey you I can't bake the cake you bake the cake but I tell you what I'll vacuum don't even think about it I'll help you with the laundry don't even think about it and don't even think about supper tonight see you're the being the savior of the body right there because the body's tired when the you know when you when when a lot of times when we get losing it we're tired in body the bible not the bible but a man i know says when a fatigue comes in faith goes out Amen. And so when fatigue comes in, so you don't even think about preaching to her till you've been the savior of the body, okay? And then in verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wife, and even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The second thing you do is you've got to give yourself. Don't even prank about preaching to her till you've saved your body, saved her body, until you've given of yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, giving of yourself is like, well, honey, honey, now it's the first day of deer season. Now, honey, honey, <laughs> die, man, die. If she's upset and she's losing it, what do you got to do? You're responsible. You got to die to self. You may even have to die to self in something that's not a pleasure. I know I heard about a man that he, you know, he was working 80 hours a week with his job. And you know, mama, who had, they had four kids, and mama was just about being the only, an only parent. And she just, one day, she just started losing it. She was just losing it. And you know what he did? He went to his boss and he said, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to give you my best, but I cannot work these hours any longer. I have to have Saturdays off. I have to take care of my wife. Amen? See, you've got to give yourself. And then after you've done that, verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Then you come in and you say, then you know, not at this time. She's stressed right now. But maybe two or three days later, you take her out and you say, Now, honey, we need, let, me just, let me just help you here. Let me help you with this situation. And it's your approach. If you're lecturing her, guys, she's going to throw a wall up as big as the wall of China. But if you're saying, now, honey, you know, we had that situation the other day. And, you know, I just, you know, I want to help you. And I'm seeing some things here. I just noticed, honey, that this is, this is something that you're doing that you need to change here. And, you know, it can't be self-serving about, well, what do you need, how you need to treat me different, how you need to do that. But you've got to be wanting to help her. Hallelujah. 
And that's how you minister to her. First you save her body. Then you say, you know, and then you, you, lay, you make sure that you're laying down your life. And then she'll listen to you. But men are Mr. Fix-It usually. And, you know, she comes in and starts talking about her problems. And i got to tell you something, men. When women, women talk about problems to relieve stress, when men have a problem, they go in their cave, we call it. And they don't talk. Because they're, they're in their problem solving. And they don't want to talk about it. But women don't solve problems like that. Women solve problems by talking out problems. And when they talk to you, they don't really want you to put on your Mr. Fix-It cap and give them an answer. Well, if you do this, this, and this. Or especially those little short, tried answers. If you just, why don't you just tell her? Well, just quit doing it then. Well, you know, and no, that, that's not helping anything. And she's going to throw a wall up. Amen? So, so, hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. So, you know, you need to be, a, men need to be good listeners. They need to learn how to listen. And she's not always looking for any particular answer. You know, I'm going to tell you something, let me give you a big clue. When she's telling you all her problems, if she wants an answer, she'll ask for one. If she wants a solution, she'll ask. If she doesn't ask, just listen and say, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and, and pet her a little. Man, I tell you, I can see you've. <laughs> I can see you've had a. I can see you've had a hard day, and you know, don't try to solve her problem. Take, let's go out to eat tonight. Well, you need to get out from underneath the stress. You need to get your mind on something else. See, you know, those kind of things are 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 saving the body and all that, and but they're not trying to fix the problem. Amen. Hallelujah. Men usually try to offer a simplified answer. Let me tell you something else about women. A lot of times women will say things like, just leave me alone. They don't mean it. They'll see a man, when a woman says, just leave me alone, he thinks she wants him to. She doesn't. She may even go and slam the door and say, don't talk to me, just leave me alone. She may put her finger in your face and say, I said leave me alone. She don't mean it. She don't mean it. I know you don't understand that, men, but I'm trying to help you here. I don't even really understand why we do it myself. But when a woman says, let me translate, when a woman says, just leave me alone, what she's really saying is comfort me. Comfort me. Don't solve my problem. Comfort me. She's really saying, put your arms around me. Tell me you love me. Tell me it's going to be okay. And, don't, and, and, you know, and you can say things like, honey, Honey, now just, honey, I'll just tell you, we're going to work it out. You know, husband, sometimes you may not be to the point where you want to say, I'm sorry yet. She may be mad at you, and you don't even know, you know. First of all, all of us need to understand that we can repent without being wrong. First of all, if you got into strife, it takes two to tango. Amen. I've never been in strife by myself at home. Well, I mean, I guess sometimes you do get mad at the vacuum cleaner and want to. You know, there are times something doesn't work and you want to hit it or something. So I guess you could, but, you know, to really get in that full-blown arguing strife, I've never just been at home arguing with myself. Have you? <laughs> Some of you are looking like... <laughs> I think we're going to have to give Jim air over here or something. <laughs> he's, looking, he's looking pale or something. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, just kidding you, just kidding Anyway, huh? So you don't have to, you can, you can 
You can minister without saying sorry. You can say, well, you know, I don't know where I've missed it. I don't understand what I did wrong. But I tell you what, well, I know one thing, honey. We're going to work this out. You just don't know how far that would go, men. Amen. Praise God. So don't give her some space. Amen. So men, you are responsible to solve the problem. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. We can't stop yet because I have to finish this part. So 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Now, men, you're responsible. The things that are wrong in her life, and you know it, you've got to help her correct. But, you know, men, i got to tell you, you're going to have to use finesse about it. You can't just walk up to her and say, I can tell you got unforgiveness towards that person. No, you're going to have to help her. Amen. And you're going to have to pray sometimes to find out how to help her. But it's wrong. Let me just tell you something. It's wrong for a woman to be wrong and her husband not to help her get right. And she may not be wrong towards you, but she may be wrong towards somebody, some, somebody else. You know, we've had situations in our extended family or before where, like, the woman was just doing wrong. She was acting in a bad way. And the husband to just sit back and let her act that way and not demonstrate to her and show her that she's wrong is wrong. God's holding you responsible. And sometimes men get, you know, it's like, I'm not going to tell her she's wrong because there'd be hell to pay if I did. Well, I tell you what, you're going to have to stand up and be a man. If you have to pay hell, you're going to have to pay hell. And sometimes, they, sometimes when you correct a woman like that, she's going to throw a fit. I appreciate, see, I'm a strong-willed woman, and there's not all, I don't always like being corrected. I'll just tell you honestly, neither do you. So we're all, you know. But, you know, I appreciate that my husband, he knows he's the head, he knows he's responsible, and he stands up to me. He stands up to me. Now, have I ever made him pay for that? I'm sure I have. Can't recall it right off. <laughs> but I'm sure. <laughs> but I just know how women are, and I'm sure that I have tried to make him pay sometimes for correcting me. But I tell you what, you're still responsible to correct her. Amen. And, and wives, if you're really right, you'll want him to correct you. And we're talking about, we're not talking about him you know, abusive correction. I hope y'all understand that. We're talking about two people. Y'all are in this church, husband and wife, Jesus Lord of their life. Both of us want to please God, but we can have blind spots and we can be, we can be acting ways that are ungodly. We can be having things like unforgiveness and things like that in our life coming up here in the healing line to get healed, but we got a grudge against somebody or we're not speaking to somebody. Or, you know, husbands, it's your responsibility to help them because they're not going to get healed with that stuff in their lives. Amen? That's the truth. That's the truth. Amen. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Y'all there. For, this, for, in the, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who've trusted in God, say trusted in God, 
adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, one thing here is, listen, the Bible says you're to treat her like she's a weaker vessel. That means like a fine china cup. Treat her like she's fine china. That doesn't mean she is weaker. Man, I tell you, I've known women that could body slam their husbands. They weren't weaker physically. You know, and we know that I've seen wives that were ten times smarter intelligence than their husbands. So we know she wasn't weaker that way. It didn't say she was weaker. Men. It says treat her like she's a fine china cup. Treat her as the weaker vessel. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's, that's what we're supposed to do. But, but I want to point out here, one of the things I want to point out here is that God tells us that Abraham and Sarah are our example. Ladies, if we, need an, if we have an example in the Word of God of how to submit, it's Sarah. Men, if you have a, 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 he's telling us that our model is Abraham and Sarah for you ruling your household or ruling, uh, being the head of your wife. Uh, so let's go over to Genesis, and we're going to wind this down with this, but we'll finish it up. Genesis chapter 16, because we've got to look at Abraham and Sarah, because they're our examples. So we've got to do it like Abraham and Sarah did. Hallelujah. Genesis 16, verse 1. And we're going to read down through verse 5. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. That wasn't true, but let's go on. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Now how could this woman say that? My wrong be upon thee. Now let's keep going, and then we will, we will discuss that. I want to notice one thing to you here, because Abraham and Sarah are an example. Notice that Abraham did not dictate to her. Notice that Abraham did not control her. You, husbands, you have no right to control your wife. You don't have any right to control her time, to control her, her what she does. You don't have any right to control her. I want you to notice also, women, that she went to Abraham and not behind his back. Wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me, let's read in here. Let's read uh, down here and uh, let's keep going. And Sarah said, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly, hardly, hardly with her, she fled from her face. So notice here that she did not go behind Abraham's back. She went to him with the situation before she dealt with Hagar. She got permission from her head. Okay? So this is our example, ladies. Now, 21, chapter 21, verse 8. Let's go over there and read, read the, and finish the story. Chapter 21, verse 8. 
And, and we're still thinking about why she said to Abraham, my wrong be upon thee. Verse 8. And it says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a... Now, she's already had Isaac. This is the child that grew, Isaac. And, 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 the, and Abraham made a feast, a great feast, the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice." Now, I tell you what, Abraham, Peter said that Sarah and Abraham are our examples of submission and of, of, of him being the head of the wife. And, and here we find that God, God said to, to Abraham, do what Sarah says. She's right. God didn't agree with Abraham when he was wrong. And God won't agree with men, a husband, if he's wrong. Now we'll talk about my wrong be upon thee. How could she say this? The reason Abraham could, I mean Sarah could say my wrong be upon thee because she messed up, didn't she? Amen. I'm telling you, we are still paying. Amen. We still got those, we've still got uh, terrorist nations that came from Ishmael. And, and so she was wrong. But she said, my wrong be upon thee. How could she say this? Because the head's responsible. You are responsible for your wife. You know, Norville Hayes, remember him? Does anybody remember Norville? Norville had problems with his daughter at one time. And God told him, he was praying about his daughter, and God told him, I hold you responsible. I tell you sometimes, you know, daddies, you're responsible. Men, you're the head of the wife and you're responsible. The little girl goes out and gets pregnant and sometimes daddy casts her out. But I don't tell you, God holds you responsible. You're responsible. Wow. That's, that's tough, but it's true. And Sarah knew Abraham was responsible. Now, it doesn't mean that Sarah didn't have, wasn't having an opinion. Did she have an opinion? Did she tell him her opinion? So, so we, the men are responsible. Now, the man, uh, so the woman can have liberty because Sarah, Abraham gave Sarah liberty. How much liberty are you to give your wife? Well, every family's different. I tell you, usually what dictates the liberty mostly in a family is finances. I know one lady, she said that uh, she went, and she was a submitted godly wife, and she went down, she decided one morning, I want a new car. So she went down to the car place, and she found the one she wanted. And they had two red cars, just like she wanted. And one had a V8 and one had a V6, and she didn't know what about anything about V8 and V6. So she called her husband at work, and she said, do you want a V8 with so-and-so and so-and-so, or a V6 with so-and-so and so-and-so? And he said, where are you at? And she told him, I'm at the car dealer. I'm getting me a new car. And you know, he was just pleased as punch about that. And he told her whether he wanted a V8 or a V6. And you say, well, boy, my husband wouldn't let me do that. Well, don't do it then. But I will tell you, she should have some liberty. She should have some liberty. And it depends on where you're at financially. If you've got two or three million, there ought to be a lot of liberty. I know... <laughs> I know there's one man I know. I know this man. And he and he, and they got money. She's got enough money to 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 drown the uh to sink a battleship. And she wants a new sofa in her den. And hers is 
30 years old, and it's Spanish style. It's that old cut velvet. Now, if they didn't have money, not anything wrong with that, but he won't let her buy a new one. That's not right. That's not, that's wrong. And sometimes, you know, men, even though it's not a money thing, it's just being an old stubborn mule thing. Amen? And that's not liberty. Now, I have liberty, and if your husband may not give you this kind of liberty, but I have such liberty that when my husband went to Tulsa about three years ago, I was, God spoke to me. I was reading the paper that one morning, that he, the morning, I, I don't know how long he's gone, but anyway, one morning I was reading the paper, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, go buy him a motorcycle. And I knew he had been believing God for a motorcycle, and I knew he wanted a Honda Shadow, but I didn't know much beyond that. And so, I, man, I was kind of scared to go. It was maybe because, I mean, I never de dealt with anybody or anything. So Rick, I don't know his last name, but down here at, at the Honda place, Rick. So I went in and I talked to Rick. And I think, and he told Pastor, he said, man, she drives a hard bargain. <laughs> and he said, now, he, he told me right up front, he said, he said, you know, he was shocked that I was buying a motorcycle by myself. And he said, now, I wouldn't want anybody to take advantage of my wife if she's doing this, so I can tell you I'm not going to take advantage of you. <laughs> Amen? And he, and he was just really flabbergasted. So my husband, he came in from Tulsa, and uh, he wanted to go down to, and this was really neat, he wanted to go to Quick Copy. And I was trying to figure out how to get him to the Honda place, and you know, Quick Copy's past the Honda. So, but the Honda wasn't going to be ready till 4.30. So I was saying all the way, I said, let's stop at Sonic. He said, I need to go to Quick Copy. I need to get there. And I was just trying to make stops all the way down, stalling. I was stalling, stalling, stalling. And he said, woman, I need to get to the Quick Copy. I said, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So when we got to Smith's Motorcycles, I said, let's go in here and look and look. No, i got to get to Quick Copy, not today. I said, yes, let's go look. Let's go look today. So he said, okay. So he pulled in, and we went in, and we walked over to that motorcycle that I had bought, and he said, I said, do you like this one? He said, yeah, I do. I said, that's good because I bought it. He said, you didn't either. I said, yeah, I did too. I said, yeah, I did too. And you know what? That's been the biggest blessing. I heard God. And you know what? I didn't know it, but it was the exact motorcycle that he had a picture of. The exact colors and everything. I tell you, so powerful to, to have that vision before you. I mean, even when you don't see the vision, you just, you don't even know you got the picture cut out. It'll come to you. You know, today in the office, he, Pastor, this is off the subject a little bit, but it'll help you. The pastor showed me, he said, look at this picture I've had in my file. And I didn't even know it. And he showed me my exact car right now. Exact color and everything. I didn't even know he had the picture. He had downloaded it off the internet. That, 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 he, you cut out a picture and it comes to you without you even praying. And you know, it was so funny because it was the only car that would do. It was the only one they would deal on. We didn't even drive it. It was sitting in the showroom. It was between other cars. We drove one like it, but we didn't even drive it. We just said, yeah, we'll take that one. It's like it, it's like it reaches out and gets a hold on you and grabs you, and you can't even figure out why it's grabbing you so, and then you realize part of the vision. Well, you say, my husband wouldn't like it if I went and bought him a motorcycle. Well, you might be surprised if you bought him a motorcycle. <laughs> he might not like it if you went and bought you something, but no. But, you know, if he doesn't, don't do it. If he doesn't like it, don't do it. But I'll tell you, she shouldn't have to ask you about every dress and every, every pair of shoes. 
and everything the kids need. Now, if there's, there's a time in our lives when we're believing God financially, and we do need to ask. I mean, you know, because it's like, okay, is it okay to get this this week? Because, you know... It's wrong for a wife to put her husband in the overdrafts. It's wrong for a wife to charge things they can't afford. But when you get past that point, and you, if you're not, you will. You just keep listening to the Word, and you'll get past that. Amen. And when you get past it, she ought to have liberty. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, we, well, we didn't finish tonight, but we got mostly through. Y'all ready to stand up? Be dismissed? Well, there will be another Wednesday.